Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. In the early 90s, Democratic Party strategist James Carville coined the phrase, it's the economy, stupid, in order to keep the Clinton campaign on message and to take advantage of a recession to unseat the then sitting president, George H.W. Bush. That was not the first election in which the economy played a significant part, and nor was it the last. With the Senate election supposedly just a few months away, we are joined by some of Wales's best economic and business minds to assess the Welsh economy and the role it will play when voters go to the ballot box. Joining us this evening are Professor Calvin Jones, Professor of Economics and Tourism at Cardiff University. Hello, Calvin. Dr. Victoria Winkler, Director of the Bevan Foundation, one of Wales's leading think tanks. Hello, Victoria. Hello. And we've got Sean Barry, who is the business editor at Media Wales. Hello, Sean. Good evening, everybody. Thank you all so much for, for coming on. The first question I wanted to ask is, before we look to the future, I wanted to reflect on the past a little bit. Devolution is now 20 years old. What do you think are the major economic achievements in those 20 years? And do you think that the Welsh Government has managed to uh, deliver for the economy and for business? Well, um, that's uh, that's uh, quite a, a challenging question. I think I think if you looked at some of the headline figures, um, if you look at the number of jobs, um, if you look at how unemployment's changed, you would think um, that actually Wales has done remarkably well. For example, economic activity rates were before the pandemic down to their lowest ever. I never thought I would see figures as low as they were. But if you look in other ways, I think what you've seen is Wales's basic industries, the ones that drove Wales in the past, disappeared and have not been replaced by similarly dynamic businesses. I think you'll also see in policy terms, a real flip-flop of ideas. So for a little while we were into sectors and now we're not into sectors, now it's foundational economy and crazes come and go, like um, focus on the valleys or a focus on Cardiff. The successes such as they are, and there's a big question about those, but the successes such as they are are not really attributable to Welsh government policy. I strongly suspect they'd have happened anyway. I agree with Victoria. I mean, lots of kind of strategies have, have come and gone. You know, new glasses have been presented. Are they half full? Are they half empty? We don't really test them. And then a, a new glass is presented. So we've got sectoral approach. Um, you know, the latest international strategy seems to work on the O strategy of trying to pick winners in certain sectors like creative industries, fintech emerging sectors. Um, but if you look at some of the, you know, the metrics for your walk gets gets measured, gets done. But um, unfortunately, just on, on GDP, on gross value added rather, we still lag behind most regions uh, in England, maybe on, on, on a par with, with the Northeast and the Northwest, which are the two poorest regions of England. But I think fundamental problems with business, we, we do have some really interesting businesses which, which export and, and have been able to grow market share. We just don't have that kind of capacity and numbers of businesses really succeeding. Productivity is an issue. Uh, it might well be the fact that you know we, we have a, a, an aging business population where perhaps they don't invest as much as they should do to improve skills, management levels, and these sort of things, which I think are, are really important to move to dial in, in terms of business performance. Uh, I mean, they, they don't have all the levers. We often hear this argument that they don't have monetary policy. And, and the Barnett formula is quite a clunky way to, to actually give money uh, to, to the Welsh government from, 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 from Westminster. And I, I did a story the other day just on borrowing powers, where the Welsh government 
under the Wales Act of 2015 and then of date in 2017 has the ability to borrow 150 million pound a year for capital projects to to boost the economy and that time they've only made use collectively of 65 million of, of borrowing I understand why that might be because you might get annual consequentials coming late from fiscal events like important statements and and the, the budget and, and the Welsh government's argument is well we can't carry more than 350 million million pound from year to year in our, in our reserves but in that same period the Scottish government under the, the same restrictions has been able to borrow 1.6 billion for capital projects you would think a Labour administration wouldn't have an aversion to, to borrowing to, to to boost the, the economy so I think that there's, there's a fundamental issue there about the finance department and, and, and the need for a fully functioning treasury which has the wit to be able to uh, to use all the borrowing powers and the consequentials to ensure they are they are used effectively. Alvin, do you think the economy that has been built is one that delivers for the people of Wales? Uh, no, uh, not by and large. S some of that, as Sean said, is is not the Welsh government's fault, and I think the idea of a a devolution dividend economically is a bit of a kind of retrospective boat on you know when we don't have control over. You know, obviously, monetary policy, interest rates, borrowing, um, but particularly employment law, uh, it, it's very difficult to see where you could imagine a big devolution dividend. I mean, certainly the work that I've been doing more recently has highlighted what we haven't managed to forge in Wales is any sort of economic narrative or associated policies which which put what you would once call clear red water between us and the, the, the kind of long-standing British mix of a little bit of you know um, intervention on entrepreneurship, a little bit of intervention on infrastructure, um, largely ease of hiring and firing. Um, and, and so the we've seen modest gains over the over the default England position with things like you know proactive and react, I guess we look back to as as better. Uh, some of the pandemic stuff is arguably better. Really, what we haven't got is anything which makes somebody in places like where I live, for example, or Victoria does, look up and say, oh yeah, I can see that's about me. And, and that's the big miss, I think. Tonight, we're, we're obviously looking forward at the election and the next five-year term, whatever administration comes in for that. What do you think the kind of key policies the parties are going to bring in for May? And what's the key policies the, the, the winning administration are going to need to deliver? Sean, have you got any thoughts about what you'd like to see in manifestos? I'd like to see... Uh, from my area, I mean, a lot kind of more targeted support to establish businesses. We can often talk about the need to create new nascent entrepreneurship and new businesses, which is true. You need a conveyor belt of new companies coming through. But there's a lot of companies in that kind of mid-market space, kind of medium-sized SMEs employing between 20 and 250, who, for whatever reason, have just kind of stagnated. Now, it's not beyond the kind of the wit of the Welsh Government with the Development Bank to provide more patient capital. I mean, the Development Bank usually invests on a five-year cycle. I think that needs to be extended to, say, 10 years. And it's interesting, the Future Fund, which is one of Rishi Sunak's kind of responses to the pandemic, has provided convertible loan financing in, into companies. Now, I have an issue with that because most of the funding has gone to companies in the southeast of England because the way it was designed is you had to have a previous investment round. You had to match the, the Future Fund uh, investment. Now, that's obviously geared towards the southeast of England, where there are more venture capitalists uh, in, in operation. But, you know, I, I think that ne needs to be looked at. Because if we can just get those companies which might have stagnated, growing their turnover by one, two million, growing market share by one, two percent, that can create lots of jobs and, and sustain jobs in, in local communities. So I think that's something I, I would de definitely want to see. And perhaps the Development Bank could take a view. 
rather than issuing debt, which they seem to do a lot. And the clue is in, in the word uh, development, bank development is the key word for me. Maybe they, they could look to turn existing debt into many companies across the world, which does, it's important to provide that capital, but it does it does play uh, a limiting role on, on terms of cash flow, maybe turning that into equity. I mean, that's a very specific thing. On infrastructure, again, I want to see more ambition. There are issues around the kind of rail thing that not all rail in, in, in Wales is devolved. We need a full devolving of rail in Wales and also uh, a funding settlement that reflects the need in Wales because there's been mass underinvestment in rail. I'm not saying rail itself will create economic growth, but it, it, it's just a basic standard we, we would need uh, to improve connectivity between communities, travel to work and all that kind of thing. Uh, and also broadband, you know, uh, broadband speeds are still unacceptably low in certain parts of Wales. People feel disenfranchised, so we, we need to really up our game in terms of that. I mean, you know, even the European Union wasn't a, a particularly good move in, in my view, but if we are to change, uh, you know, state aid rules and, and procurement rules, you know, maybe we can help more, more indigenous businesses, especially on procurements, you know, we, we, we've looked at this problem for a long time, why aren't we giving more procurement contracts from, from public sector organisations to Indigenous businesses. Now there's an opportunity to do that. Victoria, what would you and the, the Bevan Foundation like to see from the parties uh, in May? We published uh, a report today, Better Future for the People of Wales, which brings together all our recommendations to all parties about what they should do. And they're based on evidence, on the things that we've been working on for, for a good few years. I mean, on business, absolutely right, Sean, we need to be looking more at startups and re reaching those micro businesses, many of whom haven't had any contact with Welsh Government or any other economic development body for many, many years. But we need also to make sure those businesses are responsible. And at the moment, we've got a patchwork of different kinds of requirements that are put on businesses, but only in certain circumstances. If, if Businesses are to get public funding, they need to be upping their game and paying the real living wage, making decent pension provision, et cetera, et cetera. And establishing a business standard, we think, could make a difference. We think there's a role for higher education. We've got them really evenly distributed across Wales, and yet many of them are not generating the kinds of business spin-offs not just in science and, and, and digital, but there's no reason why there can't be spin-offs in, in across the board in university activities. So we think they've got a role to play. We think real serious intervention for areas whose economy is struggling, either now or if there's a closure in the future or a major rundown in an area, declaring an economic action, action zone, bringing in some investment, extending a range of incentives, um, we think could make a difference. And last but absolutely not least, there needs to be much more done to improve conditions for workers. I do not understand why we have not done more to promote the real living wage. So there's a, a long shopping list that we recommend to all parties and fingers crossed some of them, um, some of them make it through. Well, I, I won't add to the shopping list. Um, there's plenty on there most of it I agree with. Um, but, you know, what I want first and foremost is, um, and I'm not expecting this, is for parties to pay this real attention. Um, the next election will be run and lost on COVID responses. Uh, and, and that's just the way it is. And I suspect that stuff said about the economy will be fairly 
light. Um, I don't expect it to be um, especially consistent across the piece within parties. I'm not expecting this at all, but I'd like some parties to be actually asking what the economy is for. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've heard from the other guests about how we would better do things. Why we're doing things is something that, you know, I, what I don't want is to try and drag us towards somewhere as rich as London, which has um, similar levels of child poverty, in fact, worse levels of child poverty than Wales does. And that's utterly pointless. Uh, and until somebody grabs a nettle of, of visioning a Welsh economy which is sustainable, fair, inclusive, um, and then working backwards towards those policies that will embed that, we're going to get nowhere. The last thing I would like and not expect is to actually see governments that uh, are transparent uh, in holding themselves up to their own standards. So whether it comes to the FG Act, whether it comes to the economic contract uh, that we've had in Wales for a while now, I would like to see governments which actually show they're actually following their own rules before putting a load of extra wishes on them. So we're moving into the kind of foundational economy. In this last administration, Welsh Government are beginning to get an interest in and putting some resources that way. How do you see the foundational economy in the next administration, Victoria? I would like the Welsh Government to take a whole economy approach. Picking off different bits is actually a really dangerous game. So picking off sectors that are high growth or picking off foundation economy the difficulty is you can't just separate one bit of the economy off from the rest of it. So great, you know, let's let's promote social care. Absolutely, we should be promoting social care, both as an economic sector and as an essential service. But social care uses high-tech equipment. It uses high-tech hoists. It uses PPE made with the latest fabrics. It seems bizarre to me that you would focus on if you like, the, the user end and the consumer end without looking at the whole supply chain. And I think the risk is, is that we make the same but different mistake by focusing on the foundational economy. I think we cannot afford to be picky and we cannot afford to turn away and let jobs disappear. So I would like very much to see a focus on, on the whole economy and not just picking off sectors. Well, I mean, it's it, it's motherhood and apple pie, isn't it? Um, you know, who's going to argue against the foundational economy? Um, I, I think even the Conservatives would find it difficult, um, maybe abolish. <laughs> maybe anyone's who are, okay, even abolish, I think we'd probably say, yeah, fine. Um, I mean, uh, two issues. Firstly, um, we need to be quite careful because, you know, leaving, leaving to one side the internal market, which I think is very worrisome in this regard. It's also notable that the latest uh, consultation on post-Brexit procurement does not allow you to advantage companies from inside Wales. You, you can do it from your own county, um, whether you can do it from within a city region is an open question. Um, so I think we are going to be quite constrained by what we allow allowed to do by the UK government in supporting our foundational firms. And if we want to procure from those firms, um, it may be or may not be possible to do that uh, under our new arrangements, um, you know, that, that Westminster and Whitehall allow us. So I, I would worry about that. Um, the second point is that the foundation economy is great, but given its current dependence on the public sector in terms of a customer, and this certainly is true of the Preston model. Preston model has big hospitals and you know uh, universities and other the key customers which effectively our public sector and get the money from outside Preston, which is a big worry as far as I'm concerned in the foundational economy. But the you know the, in terms of the customers, you know we we need to see governments step up to the plate. My I I, I was involved, for example 
in a sustainable food initiative years ago, six, seven years ago, uh, which took a kite mark for Welsh SMEs building really good, nutritious food supply chains. And the NHS was great, 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 this is brilliant, until they had to sign something and they said, no, we can't possibly do this because it's not best value or whatever. Uh, and, you know, I'm, similarly, I'm working with, with a social enterprise who's desperately trying to obtain a significant local resource to manage and finding it in a foundational economy way to build local supply chains finding it incredibly difficult to deal with a uh, Welsh Government Quango, which just will not release control of that resource. So foundation economy is great. Spending money on pilots, as Lee Walters has, is great, but it requires significant change in the way the Welsh Government and its associated bodies, local authorities and others, and just trust and others work. And so far, they've shown, as far as I can see, very little appetite for that. Procurement is really important, um, and you're absolutely right. We could be doing it. Public bodies could be doing it much better. There are you could write a book of of tales about where it goes wrong, but there's a risk about putting all our eggs in the procurement basket. It's not the panacea that people would like to think. So if we take the total amount of Welsh spend, if you take salaries and employer costs out of it, then you're already reduced quite significantly. If you take out specialist equipment that can't be procured locally, whether it's something like an MRI scanner or, or some other stuff that need, you know, is procured globally, you're down to actually a very much smaller amount of spend. Now that's critically important. Let's make sure we use as much of that as possible in Welsh companies for the benefit of people in Wales, but it is, actually much much smaller than people think and the and the leverage of perhaps three four million three or four billion is is not going to transform jobs and unemployment um it, it will make a difference but it's not on the scale that people like to think i think also with, with procurement if you're delivering public services it has to be of a quality for obvious reasons and maybe smaller indigenous companies in, in Wales can't achieve that on their own at the moment. So it might need more collaboration between a number of suppliers to bid for a contract. And I think the dark arts of procurement, I mean, who's, who scores? I mean, what, what particular element is, is ranked more than another element? Is it your environmental track record? Is it the fact you employ or try and encourage more apprenticeships? I, I think that 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 could, could certainly be, be looked at. But I, I, I do agree with Victoria, it, it needs to be a, a mixed bag. We still do need some major employers, inward investments, so, so be it, but we still need to look at that end of the spectrum. And it, there is a worry around some major employers, and Calvin on there, this mean Tata has been losing money for years. What, what's going to happen there? We still haven't heard from Project Birch. Will, will there be a funding solution? I think they're good responsible owners, the Tata family uh, in India, but if, if you take Tata, Actually, actually, the equation of Patel, but that will have a de de devastating impact, not just on the Swansea basis region, but the numerous companies that rely on Tata for sustaining jobs and, and in, in the supply chain. It's going to take a lot of foundational economy companies within procurement pro projects locally to make up a big employer like Tata. So I'm not quite sure what's going to happen there. I mean, the way steel is going, do we go to an arm furnace operation, which is which is greener, you know, less carbon emissions, it's got to be part of the mix as well. But if you have an arm furnace in Patel, but you're not going to need 4,000 people Airbus in North Wales as well. So there are concerns to that kind of higher inward major employer side of the, uh, the ledger, but also it's how do we get these smaller companies to maybe work in a more collaborative way in an environment where procurement actually works more in their favor rather than against them. Many companies I, I come up against, they say, well, why, why didn't you go for that contract? They just don't bother with procurement because of all the time and energy that, that goes into it. 
you know, a larger corporate who's more adept at that, that has a procurement team, can do it far more quickly. Calvin, there's been allegations leveled at the Welsh Government that they're too reliant on foreign direct investment. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Well, I mean, you have to remember where we started, um, which is an economy which was very, even more reliant on FDI through the 80s and 90s than it is now. Have they moved um, from where the WDA was in 1994? Yes, they have. They will not move as, as far and as fast as some would like, like myself. Um, but, but the problem is you're in a chicken and egg situation where we have such a weak private sector, as, you know, as Sean's saying, that, that to stop chasing foreign direct investment is a very big um, ask of, of politicians who like to cut ribbons. You know, it's very difficult to cut ribbons on the foundational economy because it's small, it's distributed, social enterprises are similar. You know, if you open or protect jobs in, in the FDI, they're in one place. Now, the problem is, we all know it's getting much, much harder. Um, it, would, it would have been getting much, much harder without Brexit. Uh, with Brexit, the idea of replacing AMS like for like is, is absolute nonsense. The idea of re replacing Tarta like for like in Port Talbot, the only reason Tarta's in Port Talbot is because of the deep port. If you have an arc furnace with recycled steel, you don't need a deep port, you're not bringing stuff in from across the world. So you wouldn't put it on a horrifically um, poisoned site in Port Talbot. So, you know, we have issues with, with, with what is Wales good at and with, with the level of our, um, our, 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 our you know, cost per hour and labour, for example, with the fact that the demand for these products is, is largely you know, emerging in Asia, not in Europe, it's very difficult to see where these big investors are coming from. So it doesn't really matter if the Welsh government is, um, is interested in FDI because we're not leaving FDI, FDI is leaving us. You can see with Ineos, you know, um, and, the, and the debacle with Ineos, you can see with British folk, which has got Blyde in North England. I, I, I think maybe it was chasing either, either English, English government money or um, all in this and leaf um, contracts, but they've, they've gone elsewhere. So, so, you know, it's a bit like the independence thing that, you know, they might leave us before we leave them, possibly. That's another podcast, I suspect. FDI had its time and its place. It takes a lot of growing small businesses to create the numbers of jobs that a single inward investor can create. So although whatever one might think, um, personally, you know, the number of jobs that were promised by some inward investors is not to be seized up. But if you look back, and if I look back over my career and I think about LG, I think about um, any number of, I'm not going to show my age, any number of inward investors who've come and a significant number of them have gone as well. And if you think, well, actually, what if we'd used that money that went on the regional development grant that went on the site that went on all all the other sweeteners what if we'd done something differently would we be in a different place and i suspect we i suspect we would be well it'd be great if you know companies overseas were fighting for welsh foreign direct investment i mean it does happen on a, on a limited scale but you know calvin's right you kind of chips are falling where it was with uh, you know the loss of heavy industry that's where wales placed itself in that marketplace you know when we had the competitive advantage over East, Eastern Europe as well, it was the Iron Curtain then, so we, we, we could compete on wages, but as soon as the Eastern states started to embrace democracy, they were always going to compete on wages, and we kind of lost our place, so FDI has been diminishing. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of foreign direct investors do embrace innovation and expect that from their supply chain, and that is of benefit to some Welsh indigenous companies. They do have to up their game in terms of innovation to service some of these big 
uh, big employers. But I, I think we do need more companies. We've got to have a, a mixed bag economy, you know, foundational, uh, medium-sized businesses with patient capital growing, being able to grow because, you know, they're not reliant on on, on debt, which does take cash flow out, out of the business. We're going to need more of a balanced approach. But part of that will be encouraging our indigenous businesses to export more and, and, and to win contracts overseas. And that will bring more, more tax receipts back to Wales. Not all taxes are not devolved. Certainly corporation tax isn't. But over time, that could well be the case. So we need to think, you know, kind of three-dimensional, really, foundational. Still looking at foreign direct investment at low dimension, but trying to grow our indigenous business base and their ability to win contracts, um, and especially in the rest of the UK as well, growing market share, our near neighbour, you know, big population in England, you know, we shouldn't see that as a negative for the other reads often, oh, well, why would we want to do that? I mean, England is seen as, as a foe in, in, in some in some quarters, but, you know, it's it's a huge market and, and one we, we should be exploiting more. You know, my concern finishing the FDA point is I'm, I'm just I'm not really sure what Wales is offering, what we're particularly good at. I mean, I, I was saying somebody a year or two ago, pre-pandemic, you know, if you say keep the Cardiff city region and, and given our strength in cyber security, you knew that the public Wi-Fi in Cardiff city region was absolutely hacker-proof, was absolutely um, the best quality, the highest speed, most reliable, and every business in South East Wales had access to that for free. That would be a USP you're backed by the best universities providing the best um, uh, crypto in the world. That would be an offer, wouldn't it? That we could say, right, you know, this, come to South East Wales, this is where you will be the safest you can go. Or come to South West Wales, as you know, the, I think the city region were trying before some unpleasantness down there politically, you know, and, and get really high quality green electric supporting your, your servers. And what I think we lack is anything in terms of that USP that focuses in the mind on what Wales is really good at. Now, there's some elements of that, um, I think, around the Generations Act, you can argue, but they're not really FDI-linked. And that, I think, is what we're missing in terms of, of, of attracting that, that international development. No, I, I agree with that, with that, Calvin. What is a USP? And I think cyber, we could do well, but you know, our broadband speeds do lag, and we had really cut to broadband speeds in our city. So that could that could attract kind of near-shore investment into Wales. We need to stand out a bit more. I mean, we always say Wales is a great place to live, a friendly country, but you know, every part of the UK will probably come up with the same kind of narrative. Every part of the UK might talk about, you know, cyber, fintech, every, you know, the labs. They all have these kind of things. So it has to be a little bit more tangible and something that an investor could could recognise, disseminate, and get approval for investment. And, and I agree. I'm not sure quite there. We're not quite sure what we are now. We're no longer competing on, on costs. It's it's a far more complex kind of bidding process. The one probably part of the, the economic sector we haven't touched on yet, if we've looked at the large overseas employers, foundational economy side, is that kind of the German middle stand. And I think you mentioned it, Sean, it's about the stagnation in our kind of SME, medium size sector. The thing that strikes me is that an awful lot of those kind of companies get to a certain size and often in Wales, they get bought out. So I'm thinking Rachel's Organic Dairy, TBI, PHS. There's that kind of middle-sized company that we just seem to lose, and then we lose that headquarters. What What do you think, Sean, as you mentioned that? Like, how is there more we can do, or is it really going to be the equity aspect from development bank and government? Well, just on that, Kerry, most kind of, exit deals have gone to existing management teams so they do stay local 
in the main. I've just looked at some Gambit corporate finance research over Welsh business deals over the, over the last 20 years. So the idea that Welsh companies reach a certain size and are bought by a, a non-Welsh company or a foreign entity doesn't isn't borne out by by the kind of data in in, in the business sector. But yeah, I think it's um, it's it's management. I mean, maybe they just don't have the skills. I mean, it's to procure win procurement contracts to think about distrib distribution overseas. Uh, you know, winning market share uh, from competitors. Um, but I think patient capital aligned to proper business support. And I'm not on about business Wales, where you know they might do a, a good job in certain instances, but that kind of bespoke expertise from business people who have actually been there and done it and can really add some added value rather than just a clipboard saying we can help you with cash or we can help you with manage, we can help you pitch to a bank. And I, but I, I do think patient capital aligned to really good business support. And I think I touched on that kind of tenure horizon on equity and maybe trying to turn debt into equity. Could, could be a way forward, just given that those companies a breathing space to look, see what they can do. Because a lot of the time they're just kind of peddling so fast to just try and keep up with day-to-day -day stuff. You know, their bills to meet, salaries to pay, and sometimes they just don't have the bandwidth or the time or the energy to think about how can we grow 20%, you know, exponentially for the next five, six, seven years. So I think patient capital aligned to business support. Lots of people say this, but how do you, you know? How do you actually create that kind of gene pool of expertise? But I think that has to be something that, that needs to be to be aimed for and delivered on. Because I think if we can marry long-term patient capital, and it could be some of the investors alongside, providing focused support to companies, you know, people who know what they're doing, not necessarily in that sector, but have expertise on expansion. And when you start to marry that, I think you can see, see, see hopefully some tangible positive results in a short time frame. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to get a bit philosophical here, I think. You know, if, you, if you think about where we started, we, we started with pre-industrial revolution through farms, and then we had lots of heavy industry, which required very little post-processing. Uh, you know, think about iron, steel, and coal. There aren't many stages in the process where you can just develop supply chains, think about instilling ways of doing business, which become embedded in the culture, build a middle stand of companies which do that kind of thing. You can never say Birmingham which obviously is focused on manufacturing, which had many more elements in the process where you can have some like BSA, for example, Birmingham Small Arms, which makes guns and bicycles and various other widgets. And you end up with, you know, a creative cluster in Birmingham, which is about jewellery because because the craft is what it's all about. Go to the Basque Country. Um, I remember I went to Basque, last went to Basque Country and I, I, was, I was at San Sebastian Donostia I went with, with my colleague, went down to um, the local uh, fishing quay just outside San Sebastian, and he said, my dad here was standing here in 1965, and he was the last person to make rope on this fishing quay um, for the fishermen. And he said that idea of craft is something which the Basque country has had for actually probably two and a half thousand years ago, making boats, which are really good boats two and a half thousand years ago. And that's what we've always lacked in ways, because we've never had the requirement to solve problems, to engage in these interstices, these, these intermediate bits of business in complicated supply chains and multifarious supply chains and develop this, this kind of understanding of how we are business people who have a particular USP that say, you know, I think certainly in other, other regions, you can see this, you know, um, in a way that the industrial Wales I, I won't speak for rural Wales, has never really had an opportunity to develop. And, and what we have 150 years later is a lack of middle-sized companies. And it's shown that there's things we can do 
to change that, but they will take generations because you can't you can't change this with training or just with training. And I think what we need is a rationale to get people involved in business, which isn't you're going to make a big profit. And I think it's much much more likely to be around collaborative business than it is individual business if we do get it right. Sorry, I just wanted to say what Calvin respond to what Calvin said about different ways of working in business. So long as businesses presented us something that people can only do in suits or is in, requires a culture like we see on The Apprentice, I think there's going to be many, many people put off. Whereas if we can promote business as something that is, is can be non-exploitative, that, that can be fair and can do good, I think we would have a very different approach here in Wales. And I, I think you know, we've re we're really under underpowering our social enterprise sector. So the next administration is going to be delivering in a post-Brexit, post-pandemic world. Do you see any kind of new themes really emerging? We, we've obviously touched on the foundational economy, but last week we talked on the environment and the green economy. A green recovery was raised quite a lot. We also mentioned earlier about broadband, remote working, do you see the next, the rest of this decade bringing some new opportunities that Wales can really grasp? What strikes me about this question is I, I've been involved in a number of COVID-related task forces and roundtables and recovery groups and stuff. And we've talked a lot about policies, we've talked a lot about uh, in, in investments and interventions. And in all, in all the time I've been involved in those groups, which have spanned private, third and public sector, not one person on the table, including including my own, my own perspective, has an organisation said, hold on, we're the wrong shape for a post-COVID world, or we're the wrong size for a post-COVID world, and this isn't going to work until this bit of the Welsh Government changes radically, or this bit of higher education changes radically. So every, sing every single structure that's gone into COVID thinks it's coming out the, the other side looking exactly the same, right, or they're working at home. Now, if that's the attitude that we've got and we've had, then we will get exactly the same ideas as we had after the 2008 crisis, which didn't really work. You know, uh, we'll get exactly the same um, ideas that have failed to work in the last 30 years. And whatever we get, the, the pennies we get um, from the UK government in terms of post-Brexit money will be spent in exactly the same way because nobody thinks the world has changed as it relates to their own organisation. Now, that's about line fighting in Cardiff University, obviously, um, with, with various very small sticks um, and even smaller carrots, maybe. Um, but my worry is that nobody is using this COVID time as a point of deep reflection about the why of their organisation, um, just the how of it, and whether the how will change. And I think unless that changes, we're not going to get much different. I think that's a bit unfair, Calvin, because I think the organisations that aren't changing or that assuming they're not going to change are the ones that have a secure funding stream. The ones that are changing are the businesses who have seen them, their, their income and their business model choked off and very little prospect of return. And we are seeing, if you look at the private, I mean, I'm not championing the private sector by any means, but if you look, some of them are already making long-term strategic decisions about quitting their office space, about going completely digital. And it's mostly the public sector bodies who are assuming that at some distant point, we'll all be back to normal. I think the pandemic has shown that, you know, Welsh companies can pivot. Numerous examples of companies, Rotary Firm and Patalbert, 
uh, the MIG industrial measuring equipment have done since, since the 1780s have just completely pivoted the business. They're still do their mainstream business, but they, they, they make masses of PPE equipment, you know, visors and masks. So in a way, will the pandemic kind of bring globalization to a children halt? No, but I think there'll be reflection on, well, if we are to align trying to grow indigenous businesses with concerns about carbon emissions and, and, and climate change, then it does make sense for all nations to procure food, you know, goods and services locally, providing the service is good. It's crazy that we bring lamb all over from, from New Zealand. The, the carbon emissions, the flying lamb in, you know, be from America. Surely there's, there's enough animals in this country to do that. So I, th I think there is, there is an opportunity around that, but it, it does need, you know, policy interventions and everyone to buy into that. Um, I mean, going back to companies, I, I agree you know, we need good practice from businesses, but you know, the entrepreneurs I know work extremely hard, really long hours. They take all the risks sometimes, you know, they have to make sure that people get paid and it's quite a stressful occupation. That's why I'm a journalist, not, not an, entre an entrepreneur. But I, I do believe in the equity model, you know, the employee ownership model, whereby people can have a stake, whether through a trust or what, whatever form of equity that, that curtails. I think there is something to be said about people having skin in the game and ownership in, 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 in a company or an organization um, to all be engaged in, in trying to grow it and, and achieve success and, and the, rewards, the rewards more equitable in, in that sense. Um, big challenges for the Welsh economy. I mean, just at the Share Prosperity Fund, I mean, structural funding has come to an end. We can look at the track record of structural funding in Wales over the last 20 years and say, well, actually, it, it wasn't fantastic. Um, but, you know, the Welsh government will have problems. The, the UK government will set the parameters on the Shared Prosperity Fund. And it looks as though that local authorities or the regions will have to bid in. It's, it's going to be tough for the Welsh government to control things uh, in this kind of post-EU post membership stage of our, of our economy. I think what will not go back to how it was is people's relationship with their workplace. I don't think um, we'll see the complete end of offices. I think there are a lot of people missing a lot of things about that contact with their colleagues. But whether we'll go back to five days a week of nine till five based on a 50, 60 mile round trip, I doubt very much. And I think the kinds of, um, you know, the kinds of meetings, the kinds of discussions, that kind of remote working that we've we've seen, I, I, I think that's here to stay. We will see people who are in a position to do this, people will reevaluate the relative balance between um, their working life and the rest of their life. I think we've seen people realise that they, you know, the, the, the importance of family and the importance of home and the, and the local environment as well. So I think that will change as well. What I don't, I think, won't change, and I think we need to be really concerned about, is the effect on people in the bottom half of the, the wage distribution, so the people who are on below average earnings and below average incomes, because they have already taken a massive hit. And all indications are is that that hit will continue. They might get 80% of their wages while they're furloughed, but they're certainly not paying 80% of their electricity bill. Um, because some sectors, I strongly suspect, won't bounce back. I, you know, I, who's going to go to the cinema? Who's going to go to the pub for many years? Um, I think we, we will see a lot of people who 
won't have the luxury of working from home who are actually really going to be struggling to make ends meet. So I think we're going to see that polarisation um, and, and any post-COVID recovery has got to recognise and address those inequalities that they were there already, but they, they're much, much deeper. So some things will change, some things won't. I think that is a really um, interesting point there, in that of course the people who've done very well at this pandemic are um, the tech giants, uh, you know, and what we've seen is, I mean, I used to do quite a lot of work on this before the pandemic, and I, I've been, I've been rereading some of my work from 2019 I did with um, Free Generations Office, and I'm pleasantly surprised that for a change, everything I predicted would happen did, and people should have listened to me, which is very unusual for an economist to go back and think, actually, you know, when I talk about thinking about decentralising work, thinking about on, on, on the job training forever, thinking about being a flexible organisation, all that kind of, you know, we should have done um, maybe two years ago. Um, but, but of course, coming back to the point about, the, you know, what's, what sectors will do better and worse, the ledge money that was propping up jobs in the middle of Cardiff and in the middle of Merthyr in the pubs and in the middle of Ponty in the coffee shops, that will leak even more from our communities. Uh, so it's not just sectors that are going, it's, it's the geographic implication of those sectors changing. Um, so somehow we have to, um, now the UK government has made very small moves towards this, um, start taxing online stuff properly uh, and start encouraging where we are consuming, moving that money as local as we can to home. And, that, and that's, you know, I, I remember telling the Anne Wood this um, a decade, more than a decade ago, we were talking about her green print for the valleys and, and, and how far it could go and should go. And she said to me at the end of this conversation, so are you telling me I can't, I gotta tell people they can't have iPads. The iPad just come out. And I was like, well, if you if you want a sustainable local economy where everyone has a decent wage at the bottom as well as the top, yes, you can't spend a thousand pounds a year or whatever it was on your shiny bit of tech. So that thousand pounds a year is never coming back. And that's the choice that we face, which no politician obviously will ever will ever go anywhere near. If we could reflect just a little bit on what's happened for the last year or so, how do you think the Welsh Government has managed to balance the interests of people and businesses in the support they've offered, Victoria? The paramount duty of any government is to protect its people. And I think the early lockdown did exactly that. Most of the measures that were introduced to support business during that time were fair and reasonable. Yes, there were gaps in the coverage. Some of those gaps were plugged. As things have rolled out, it's been very difficult having the on-off message, even as a, a, a charity business, um, it's been difficult. Are we in, are we not in, are we home, are we not home? And for businesses that, such as pubs or restaurants that not only have to be open or shut, but have supplies, I think it must have been extremely difficult and for businesses looking ahead, they don't know what they, they're going to be doing. But part of me thinks, well, that's, part, that's how things are. Um, there are many people had to make difficult structural adjustments in the past when industries have, have closed. And I think fundamentally um, the, the call has been right. Um, if I was to do one thing differently or say the Welsh Government should have done one thing differently, I would have used its business support structures, business support mechanisms to provide um, full pay for people who were either ill or self-isolating, because I think that would have done wonders for the infection rate, and they could have done it. I, th I think I'd agree wholeheartedly with that. I think, you know, it's been pretty clear 
um, what, what the limitations of the UK approach have been or the English approach. Um, and and we've, we've done a little better than England in some ways. Um, but I think this, this issue about, about persuading people to isolate, you know, our track and trace is better, but if people don't isolate, after you've traced them, then there's no point tracing them, is there? And, and that's something I think, uh, you know, um, given our difficulties with, with the lack of money for furlough, you know, which only became resolved, you know, uh, towards the end of last year, I think it was, uh, when it became clear we could have our own furlough at our own time and the UK government would cover that. But given the difficulties with the poorest border, it's hard to know how far you can go, which is different, um, you know, and I think as with much of devolution, um, you know, when I, when I look at the kind of successes of devolution, um, it, it's a little bit, um, at least we're not England, you look at the health service, for example, what happens in, you know, um, it, with marketization, or you look at academy schools in England, and you think, you know, at least we're not England, at least I do. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, pandemic's been a little bit like that. Um, yes, we wish we were in New Zealand, but that's not where we are. What confidence do the business community now have in the Welsh Government? Depends who you ask in which sector, I guess. I mean, hospitality, retail and leisure have taken the brunt of this. And Calvin made a point, you know, a lot of young people who are employed in those sectors, if, if they don't return, I mean, that kind of standard of living is going to really impact on a lot of people in, in, in Wales who, who are just starting out. I mean, what they, they couldn't finance further. That had to be a treasury thing. A lot of the bounce back loans, the COVID loans with the guarantees through the British Business Bank was UK wide. Could they have done more for companies, you know, startups, perhaps, you know, the Scottish government moved on bursaries for startups quicker than the Welsh government. But I'm mean, just picking at, at, at the margins here. But I think one thing, though, that hopefully will change, um, the UK government has basically advanced to consequentials, the COVID guarantee. So the Welsh and Scottish and the Northern Ireland governments had these big receipts of in, into their block grant for capital and resource uh, so they could plan more effectively for COVID. Well, Hopefully, we will come to an end of this terrible pandemic. Uh, but that that stays. So you, you have a guarantee against consequentials up front at the start of the financial year, and that should hopefully then reduce the the argument, which you know I kind of disagreed with at the beginning of this conversation. I think you need the treasury function that's a lot more fleet of foot that you can borrow a lot more effectively without the concern that you might lose that the carry the carry needs to be increased but in general i think yeah you know you can talk to an individual business who, who think the welsh government has done a terrible job i mean the economic resilience fund is, is limited most of the money has come by the treasury it's been barnetized it's it's been a tough kick i think for all the, all the devolved administrations and the uk government what we've tried to do today there's, there's obviously huge ticket items linked into the economy section, which we could have gone into, like transport a lot more, agriculture, tourism. We tried to focus this, we're gonna have pods on those a little later. But what levers do you think Wales devolution is perhaps missing, which we do really need to look at? Sean, you mentioned earlier on about uh, full powers over the rail network in Wales. You know, what, what are those big ticket levers you think would make a real difference to the Welsh economy? That's certainly with on, on rail. I mean, you've got High Speed 2 now, which is deemed a Wales and England transport project, but it's not. It's an English project. And it's great because it will improve capacity on the rest of the UK network. But the, the attribution factor of what comes through the Barnet formula as a result has been sweet because most of the spending in the Department for, department, uh, for Transport will go on high speed. So therefore, the allocation, it was, I think the attribution factor was 80%. You get a devolved settlement for every penny spent, spent in England, you get 80p in the pound will come to the Welsh government and they decide how to spend that. Now, 
high speed will blow that out of the water, the attribution factor will go down to 30p. So we've got a big funding issue over the next 10, 15 years just from high speed. So maybe we need a full devolution of rail, which incidentally the Welsh Government was offered a full devolution of rail along with the Scots in 2005. But for what it, maybe it was a civil service capacity, I, I, I could raise this this evening, it was an issue. Why we didn't take that is beyond me. But what's done, done. But what it would have meant was that we began to fall by formula consequential for high speed too, as the Scots and, and, and Northern Ireland are doing. In terms of other levers, yeah, borrowing power is up. You know, we, we, we could come to really support, you know, a five billion pound ceiling on, on capital and resource borrowing. Other taxes, well, I think, you know, social care needs to be looked at. If we are to look after older people, we're all getting older, and Wales has an older demographic profile than England, then we need to think of, and this, this pandemic has shown that, there were terrible things that have gone on in some of the nursing homes, some, some great people work there, but we need to value those people more. But we do need to think about social care and how we fund that, and maybe some taxation around that needs to be considered. I know Jerry Holton came up with this kind of social care fund where everybody contributes. You don't have a fund, like a sovereign fund, you can invest in the social care network, improve the supply chain of indigenous businesses, but that, that, that's a big issue. If, if I'm being honest, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with anything that Sean has said, certainly borrowing powers is something that, that, that obviously massively needed. Um, uh, and, you know, I might, I might put energy in there, you know, um, for big energy projects, but frankly, given, given the national grid is not a Welsh grid, um, I'm not sure how much difference that would really make, and it's more about regulation than it is about powers I mean, it's complicated but you know we, we never have an own electricity market in Wales so that's asking for you know it's a pipe dream I think um but but I, I generally think that really it's it's ideas that are lacking not powers I mean we've not I, I can't look at many areas certainly in my sphere where I, th I think okay the Welsh government's really pushing against the edges of the envelope here it's really been held back by its inability to do x because of its you know because of the, the, the devolution of settlement and if only we'd had a different settlement things would have been massively different um, there aren't many areas uh, you, you might argue really would have been different but honestly if we'd had powers in 2005 what, how differently would we have done that? I'm not sure, given, given the tension, you know, between spending on the road and the rail, which we had with the M4 relief over the years, would we have been gutsy enough to really go wholeheartedly in the Metro 10 years earlier? Um, and I think it's actually this, it, it's this lack of knowing what you want to do rather than having the powers to do it, apart from the generic stuff like borrowing or maybe, maybe um, again, social care taxes is clearly something, um, you know, that, that we could benefit from. But, but I, I'm not sure that we've had the capacity when we come out of the civil service and the ideas in the civil service um, that, that then get transmitted to ministers. I'm not sure that there's a big upswell of stuff there ready to go if only the, you know, the Wales Act was more permissive or, or the internal marks were went away, really. I, I think I'd come back right round to, to the question at the beginning, which was about <coughs> what difference has devolution made? The current settlement means we can only vary at the margins. And I think we need to start looking at the fundamental drivers, which are around taxation and around ownership and around powers of employment. Before we kind of round things up, what would you see as one kind of key policy idea, one perhaps new lever? What do you see as really something which is essential post-May that you really want to see from... Uh, the party in charge. Well, I'll, I'll rehash something I said, I think, in about 
2005, I think, when Wales of Vibrant Economy uh, was in the offing, and Kerry, you, you might be around at the time, I don't know, in, 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 inside then. Um, if, if, there was, if there was a, um, a red line that said that the Welsh Government would not spend any money um, on anything which increases net carbon emissions, full stop. If we'd said that 15 years ago, we would have a very different Welsh economy now. And we might have been made some really difficult choices in the intervening 15 years. But you know what? We would have been massively ahead of the pack by now in terms of where we are, in terms of how we restructure our economy, you know, um, uh, ready for the 2020s. If, if, if every civil servant had known they couldn't put anything in front of a minister unless they could prove it reduced carbon emissions, then we would have been in a very different place. Now, that was that, that didn't fly, obviously, all those years ago. Um, and it probably won't fly now, but I still think it's not too late to, to really genuinely address our, over, our overwhelming climate and nature emergency uh, with policies like that. Or a policy like that, anyone. Yeah, well, I go back to my kind of point on those businesses which are stagnated and have the potential to do more. And I take Alvis' point, it won't, it won't happen overnight, but I think that, that certainly would, would help. But also, I think Kelvin's point is absolutely right. Uh, we can burn about, we need X powers on tax and X powers on borrow. And how effective have we been with the powers we have in the existing envelope? And I think we need to be a lot smarter in accessing, and this is at a university level as well, local authority level, research council funding, backing from you know credit export finance. I mean, there's a huge wave of UK money sat there, and it might not be government, it might be other funding streams from the, the public, private sector, trust or whatever, but we're just going to be smarter, whether it's through the higher education sector, through through companies, the first sector, whatever, at getting our hands on available capital. Because I mean, it's a cliche, but the world is awash with cash, but a lot of that cash sits in Westminster and we're paying for it, it's Welsh taxes. So why aren't we doing more credit insurance deals, you know, for our export companies? Why aren't we getting a bigger share of research council funding, a business growth deal, for example, the business growth fund at the British Business Bank. I mean, they, they do the start, but you know, we need to get a, a larger slice of that beyond our, our population base, just as the Scots do. You know, I just get a sense they're all over these kind of things. So we need to be a little bit more ambitious there. We need to shout a bit more. I'm going to suggest three things. I'm going to be really cheeky. I think, first of all, there needs to be a massive economic stimulus. I know it's not a new idea. Um, there's lots of talk about Green New Deal. We know, we know what kind of expenditure would get a good bang for our bucks in terms of jobs and a good outcome socially and environmentally. So that is an absolute must do for the first couple of years. I think the second thing is um, to a significant investment in adult learning and training. At the moment, if you're an unemployed fitter or whatever, you have no chance of retraining to a higher level um, because there is no funding, there is no part-time provision. And I think that would be transformative both for people and for the communities. And then the third thing, I think we need to change the economic narrative. Um, if you look at what outside Wales, what people think about us, it is absolutely shocking. Their view is that we are poor, deprived and anti-business. And I think changing that story so that we're seen as a confident nation with good, strong businesses, good, strong workers that gets a fair deal for everybody, then I think we might be on the way to changing things. 
one last question uh, before we go. Obviously, this is a, a pod looking at the, the Senate election, so it would be remiss of us not to ask what your predictions were for May. So we'll start with Sean. What do you think will happen? Well, when will the election happen, I guess, is the first question. Um, but just assume it's May. I guess it kind of Westminster politics do play out to a certain degree. I mean, how popular or unpopular George, George, Boris Johnson be will impact to a certain degree. Uh, UK-wide issues do, do have an impact on, on the Senate elections. Um, I probably think Labour will, will they have a working majority? Probably not. Will they do a deal? Liberal Democrats will be there. Probably do so and replied. Would Adam do that? Could be quite interesting if you if you align that kind of coalition or confidence or supply type arrangement. It has happened in the past. So my bet would be either a, a, you know, Labour, government, confidence supply, or maybe a formal coalition we apply, but I can't see beyond that. God, I'm no political scientist, um, but I my feeling is um, with some of the work I'm doing now in the valleys, which does have resonance for identity and voting and other things, is that we may well see Labour lose its majority and I, I'm quite hopeful that that will happen and I'm not a party political animal at all, but it seems to me that the, the, the assembly session with the, um, well it was the assembly, uh, with the most progress made was when we had a coalition between um, applied Labour, which required Labour to pull its socks up and gave some more um, radical Labour politicians um, room to manoeuvre. We had the plastic bag tax and we had uh, the starting of the Few Generations Act and we had other things that you know, Jane did, um, Jane Davidson did. Um, and I think that that might actually, if we had that form of coalition, I think that might actually improve the quality of government somewhat. So I'm quite hopeful of that. I think we'll see more of the same. I think there might be some reshuffling of the chairs, but I think there'll be a lot of noise and a lot of puff and a lot of smoke, but I think we're likely to see something that looks very much um, like what we have at the moment. I would agree very much with Calvin. I actually wrote the partnership agreement between Labour and Plaid Cymru um, back in the day and seeing the product of those two parties come together was a, I think, a very good process. But that's the past, not the future. And on that note, thank you very much to all of you for coming on this evening. If people want to find you on Twitter, where can they discover what you've got to say, Calvin? Uh, I wouldn't recommend it, but I'm at Welsh Khan if you do want to. Thank you, Victoria. I'm at Fee Winkler, um, but I don't tweet very often. Very wise. And Sean? At Sean Barry. Wonderful. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed what you've heard this evening, please don't forget to find us on Medium at Here I Vlog Cymru, on Facebook at Here I Vlog Cymru, and on Twitter at Here I Vlog. Thank you for listening to Here I. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe rate and review.